You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Thank you, sir. Give him a hand, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that was pretty good. Kind of weak. Hey, stand up really quick. I'm going to do something a little different this morning because today we're going to be happy. Uh, So if you're happy and you know it, there you go. We got it. Hey, turn to the person next to you um, and smile really big. Now, one more time, do it one more time, but push it a little bit further into the realm of comedic and really awkward. There we go. There we go. Okay, you can be seated. We're going to talk, uh, uh, circle back on joy a little bit this morning, and not so much just joy in itself, but uh, just how we kind of cultivate joy, how we steward joy, because I do think we're called to steward um, those things. And I, I do recognize on the onset of this that this is one of those messages that sometimes it's easy to say but harder to do. Um, so no shame to anyone who might not be in the most flamboyant season of happiness and joy uh, because we are human, um, and, and I get that. But I want to pray for us this morning. Father, just thank you for your joy. God, thank you for um, your measure, that it's endless, that it's overflowing, Father, that when we uh, don't think we have enough, we certainly have more than enough in you. And, Father, when we learn to engage that and steward that, God, it changes everything. And so, God, give us wisdom and strength this morning, but Father, I just pray for joy in this place. Um, God, the joy that maybe for some is locked on the inside, God, I pray that uh, it could be released um, this morning because um, you want us to be happy. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to read a couple statistics because I, I did science this week and looked up a study on happiness, okay? Now, this is just Again, science, not Bible, but it's interesting the effects that happiness and positivity have on the physical body. I'm not going to go into the data because I don't even understand it, but these are the six uh, kind of tips of the iceberg that this study said benefits the body when we are happy. And number one is it protects your, protects your heart. Okay, So being happy and having joy has an impact on your physical heart. It combats stress. It says happy people had 23% lower cortisol levels than less happy people. So there you go. Strengthens your immune system. Uh, fewer aches and pains. I don't know how they know this or how they got this data, but it's on Google, so it's true. Uh, it combat, combats disease and disability. And the last one is it lengthens our lives. So this is the physical effect, some of them, that just being happy or more happy has on your physical well-being. How many of you guys know that God wants us to be happy? That's horrible response. <laughs> Does anyone think God wants us to be happy? Now, the church I grew up in, we definitely didn't believe God wanted us to be happy. Uh, but now I do hold that theology. I do think God wants us to be happy, right? I mean, it's funny because sometimes just religion robs us and makes us so paranoid of a good God and the goodness of God that anything that makes us uh, carry joy, we're very suspicious of. Um, but Jesus himself is joy in a box. And so uh, he, when he displays something, I think it's safe for us to latch on and go full steam ahead. God wants us to be happy. Amen. He wants us to have a measure of joy. And I want to look at uh, this as a model this morning. First Thessalonians chapter 5. 
This is Paul writing, and Paul is um, no stranger to persecution. Early church, they've suffered a lot, they've dodged a lot, but Paul was someone who had this incredible ability to somehow drop an anchor in the midst of chaos, and in the midst of a rocking boat and storm, he could anchor himself around Jesus and still uh, equip and empower a church who's being persecuted to carry such Things And this is one of those moments they've been persecuted. Uh, Paul and Silas have had to flee. And he's writing to the people there. And it says this, verse 16, it says this. Rejoice always. Everybody say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will. That makes it tricky. For you in Christ Jesus. Right? So when Paul says rejoice always... When he puts the word always there, that means this is no longer just a tool or a moment that we're looking for. This is now a standard and a model. So when Paul says, I want you to rejoice, he's not, he's not saying find a moment to celebrate. He's saying this is the standard I want you to have in all circumstances. And he takes it further uh, to put just the weight on us to pursue a life of rejoicing. And he says, for this is God's will. For you in Christ Jesus. So therefore, God wants us, because to rejoice means to be cheerful and glad. So God wants you, it is his will, for you not just to have a moment of being cheerful, but to have a model of being cheerful. Right? This is why I said it's easier to say it up here, and sometimes it's harder. And if you're one of those people, like you're not in a happy mood this morning, you might hate my guts. Uh, but it's just going to be one of those messages where I just say, be happy all morning. So Paul's writing, rejoice always. So he's making it a standard and he's calling the church to a standard. Here's what the Greek word always means. It means always, right? All the time. In all things. Always means that this is a standard and that rejoicing shouldn't be a moment that we find, but it should be a model and a position that we do life from. Paul was so good at this. He's even writing in Philippians from prison, rejoice always, right? So Paul, even in the midst of persecution and trial and situations, somehow had this ability to set a standard before the condition and still live a lifestyle of rejoicing. And I think that's so uh, important. But here's what a standard is, a standard of anything. A standard means I'm deciding how I'm going to be before I get there. Right Before the condition, before the situation, I've already set my life around something so that conditions don't dictate how I'm going to be. And this is what Paul is calling us to, to rejoice always. Rejoicing is not a moment we need to find. It's a standard that we need to live by. Um, and I fear sometimes this. I fear sometimes, especially in the church, and I'm going to navigate this very cautiously because I don't want to... Um, throw shade on anyone who, who is in a moment. Um, but sometimes in the church, we, we get stuck looking for moments of relief because we're not really cultivating a model of his lifestyle in ours. Right? You know what I'm talking about? And so what happens is sometimes we're gasping for a moment of joy when it should be pouring out. And I know when I say it should be pouring out, it kind of can sound condemning like, hey, you guys aren't happy enough, be more happy. But the truth is Paul's calling us to this reality and this standard of rejoicing. If you want more joy, then you've got to learn to rejoice, right? Um, how many of you guys know there's stuff to celebrate in your life? 
Amen. This is awesome, by the way. <laughs> guys, this must have been Red Bull in the coffee today. You guys are jacked. There's, some, there's stuff to celebrate there, right? Um, can I be vulnerable this morning? I'm going to. Um, a little known fact about me, if, if there's a boundary, uh, I usually cross it. So let's, let's go there. Um, if I'm honest, we're in the most, I wouldn't say unhappy, but very challenging season of probably our life in ministry. Right? Now, I don't say that for pity. I don't say, like, I'm actually doing pretty good. Um, but it's been the most challenging season of our life. So even to talk on joy this morning is backwards for me right now. Because I am the guy currently who's probably looking for the moment. Right? I'm kind of stuck in that thing where, man, if conditions were just different, if we could just get through this, like, joy would come back, and it'd be like this tense rubber band snapping, and it'd all be good then. But the reality is, sometimes when I learn to find it in the midst of it, it no longer has authority over me, because now my joy has authority over it. And if I'm vulnerable this morning, I, I get it. I'm not the guy right now who's just fully happy all the time. Hmm. Now, that might disqualify me. Um, but if we're all honest, <laughs> this is reality, yeah? And Paul's calling us to the place of rejoicing all the time. And you ever just want to be like, shut up, Paul. Like, who asked? Anybody talking to you, Paul? Like, no one care what you got. Rejoice. But this is what he's calling us to, right? And you see this in the lifestyle of multiple people. Look at David, who, and, and you mentioned this so well, but David had this capacity to do life from a model and a position, and he was always setting these standards where his heart would be set on who God is and how he was going to be in response to God. Therefore, David could be a man after God's own heart, but still live the most crazy, all-over-the-map life, have emotional uh, just waves come through his life. I mean, he was all over the place, but he had these anchors that he could come back to because he set standards in psalm 34 you see a glimpse of this and just some context david um has had to flee saul he's gone before abimelech and he's acting crazy because he doesn't want the king to know who he is or perceive him as a threat so he kind of acts nuts great to do when you get pulled over by the cops uh, by the way uh, any cops in the room amen but he says this, Psalm 34, 1, everybody knows this. He says, I will extol the Lord at all times. Standard, right? To sit in a moment, this is a, this is a model. He's not saying, I, I'm going to, you know, just praise the Lord greatly when everything's right. He says, I'm going to do this at all times. So he's deciding before he even gets to sometimes that this is how he's going to be so that when any time shows up, David's already committed to a standard and a model saying, I'm going to give God praise. He says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Lips. So David's setting a standard of praise. He's setting a standard of how he's going to be. And then he also allows that standard not just to be in his mind, but he says it's going to be on my lips. You understand that rejoicing and praise and these things that we are called to aren't something that we just carry on the inside, but it's important that they come out in our speech because rejoicing will condition your speech. The other day I was um, doing something that I hated. 
and I'm doing a lot of construction right now. That's why I sound like my preacher voice is getting like more mature because there's a lot of sawdust in here. And I promise I'm not smoking. Um, but the other day I had to caulk. Anybody know what caulking is? How many guys love to caulk stuff? Yeah, me, me too. Are you serious? Wow. Call you next time. But the other day I had to caulk for like eight hours. Whole house, just did the trim, had to caulk everything. I hate it. Because what drives me is the stuff that's like quick change, like framing a wall is fun because it's just quick change. You can see progress because progress energizes me. But when you caulk stuff, no one even knows you did it. (laughs) And I hate it because it's just slow, it's tedious, and nothing ruins a good trim job, like a bad caulk job. So I'm a little OCD, and so I'm like, I can't do it bad. And I'm caulking for eight hours, and I'm just sitting there. And this is one of those moments and probably where this message came from. Thank you, Caulk, one of our sponsors. But I'm sitting there, and I'm like, gosh, I hate this. And I said it. And it's just me and the Lord, you know. Like, I'm just like, oh, I hate this. Ugh. And sometimes when I'm really frustrated, I just make noises. Like, ugh. This is one of those uh days, right? Then I decided, I'm going to rejoice about this. <laughs> Oh, this is so stupid. And I just started kind of talking myself to this. Like, oh, this is great. You know, like, it's the best day of my life. I'm just kind of having this me upstairs. It's like 6 in the morning. The girls are sleeping. And if Kara came out, she'd hear me upstairs. There's in this weird character going, oh, my gosh, I'm having so much fun talking today. And I'm trying to talk myself into it and out of negativity. But the truth is, the more I kind of did it, even though I didn't want to, once I allowed it to be on my lips and I brought it out into the atmosphere, it really did help steer my heart into a place where I was no longer so serious or negative about caulking, but it lightened the mood a little bit, right? There's some, I don't know the science or the spiritual nature behind it, but there is power in what we speak And when we learn to rejoice, especially in the midst of things, it shifts not only us, but it shifts other things. Let me tell you this story because David goes on writing. It says, I will glory in the Lord, verse 2. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. So it's not just David. David understood this principle. When there's a standard on my life and I release it, it invites other people in a space to join in as well. It doesn't just change me, but it changes the atmosphere that we're in. There was a, if you, I don't think I've told you this, but I grew up in a very country, strict, Southern Baptist kind of church, real small church. You could tell. Um, And (laughs) we didn't believe in anything. We just believed in what we couldn't do, right? So we were non-believers. But it was one of those churches you can't stay saved in. And so like every Sunday it was like I got saved again because I always got like a, got to go to McDonald's or something for getting baptized or getting saved. It was one of those churches, right? And... I remember one time, and it's the type of church too, like I, I appreciate the authenticity and just the expression of worship here, but we didn't do that in, in this church, right? In fact, no one moved. Like the preacher would, I mean, he had that, he definitely smoked because his voice was like, had that rasp and he let it out and he would run around, and, but no one else moved, wouldn't dare move a muscle, especially not in worship, right? And I remember 
I mean, occasionally you get like that one lady who was brave and she'd throw up one of these, like platters, and it was cool. But I remember it was a Wednesday night. There's probably like 30 people in the church. Um, the guy's preaching, and I'm pretty young. I don't even know what he was talking about. But I remember this really quiet, reserved uh, guy in the church, um, out of nowhere, mid-sermon. The guy gets out of his seat and starts yelling at the top of his lungs. And he's praising God. Right? He just gets up and he's screaming, hallelujah, praise God. And I, He didn't even know how to do that, right? Because we didn't train people how to do that. <clears throat> We'd never seen it before, for sure. But he gets up and he's just overwhelmed by something. And he starts shouting and praising God. Like, this is... Of course, the first thing we do is freak out because we're scared to death, right? And I remember it just put a holy fear in me, not a fear of the Lord, but a fear of us because I thought, what is going on right here? And I, I kind of locked down. The whole church just kind of goes like this. It's kind of like one of those nobody move moments, and he won't see us. The crazy guy won't see us. <laughs> and it's about, I don't know, a minute and a half, this dude just keeps going. He's just praising God. A minute and a half later, this other guy gets up on the other side of the church. Now, keep in mind, we didn't do this. No one's done this. We've known these people for years. They've never done this. This guy gets up, starts shouting, praising God. They're rejoicing, right? Another guy gets up. Now we're really freaking out. I'm thinking, all right, we've got to go. Like, this is one of those churches. And uh, I'll be darned. That's the country Baptist, and that's what I took away from that whole season. My own father got up. Whoa. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. And he starts shouting, praising God. Before you know it, like, half the church is on their feet shouting, praising God. I still don't even know what happened except God moved, and we didn't know what that looked like, but it happened, right? But the whole atmosphere shifted because someone started to rejoice, not just on the inside, but on the outside. And when he stood up to rejoice, it allowed and gave permission for other people who, was pro- who were probably carrying it on the inside, but it was locked and they just needed permission. And David understood this, that when I praise the Lord at all times, when his praise is continually on my lips, it gives permission for other people to come and it changes The atmosphere around us, the whole atmosphere changed in that church until the next Sunday, and then we were all quiet again. But man, what a revival that night was, right? But David understood this, right? He set a standard. He knew the power of it, and he stewarded the joy of his life through the art of rejoicing and praise and making certain things audible. That's why worship is so important, because it's important that we carry confession on our lips. Verse 4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Understand that when we seek the Lord, it allows us to see his view on certain things and it gives us something to rejoice over. This is what I love about Paul and I love about David is for them rejoicing, faith, trust. These things weren't moments. They became models and standards 
in their life. They decided before persecution and situation, this is how we're going to be. And even though they certainly were far from perfect, they held this anchor so well, and they championed other people to carry the same. And that's what it looks like to live from a model. But what does it look like to live from a moment or for a moment? And I think sometimes this is probably where we get trapped, right? This is where I was the other day talking. Because if I'm honest, I just wanted a moment of relief because I wasn't living from a perspective that I should have been that morning. There's no shame on on something like that. Um, But God doesn't want us to be gasping for a moment of relief. That's not what the Holy Spirit in you supplies. He supplies something that is so much stronger. But here, I want to look at the Israelites. Numbers 21. These guys can tend to get a bad rap because they walked around in circles for 40 years. So some of it's deserved. um, But their story is fascinating to me. And this is a moment where they've got some history with the Lord, right? They were in bondage for years. God's delivered them, called Moses, let my people go. You know the story. They go out. They're being liberated. And they've seen God do miracles, right? And this is kind of the context in their history, but the challenge with them is they were never really building a model around who he was and what he's done. They were always going moment to moment, moment to moment, moment to moment. So when the moment faded, they were disrupted, right? And this is one of those moments. And it says this, Numbers 21, verse number 4, says they traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea. Now, right here is really important because the Red Sea was a place that they should have been reminded of the time God parted the water and allowed them through. Now, just just think about this for a moment. If, if, If I'm the children of Israel, and I've been in bondage for generations... And God literally uh, parts the water for me to escape the hand of Pharaoh. Like I watched the miracle, Moses holds a stick, the waters part, we cross over, Pharaoh chases, the waters close, and they start what? Rejoicing. You would think after such a miracle, a standard would have been set that I will never question the Lord again. You would think after you've seen the waters part and your enemy consumed that, okay, God, I am good. Like, I don't need you to do anything else. I don't need you to impress me. I don't, if you do nothing else, that was awesome, right? Uh, there's something to celebrate. That should have lasted for at least a few weeks, right? Um, <laughs> but for them, it was just a moment, right? And moments fade. Models don't. But this was a moment for these guys. And so God brings them right back around the circle. Because sometimes God will circle us around what he's already done to remind us of who he still is. But this is where they are. They traveled along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people, this is so funny, the people grew impatient on the way. So they're coming around the Red Sea and they forgot. Not even talking in this passage about that time God delivered us. They forgot. You understand that when we rejoice, it keeps us from forgetting what the Lord has done. And it reminds us, puts our mind back in the place it needs to be, 
to know who he is. Rejoicing is something that anchors us. But the people grew impatient along the way. This is the uh, are we there yet syndrome, right? And you've got to think about their context, man. God's like called them out and called them in, but they're not quite in yet. And they're uh, not really fully out. They're out physically, but mentally still not out. They're kind of still in bondage and tempted to go back because at least they knew what it was like and what to expect there. And they're struggling, right? Because they're probably knocking on Moses every five minutes. Are we there? When are we going to get there? Right, And God's doing miracle after miracle and providing and tolerating and dispensing grace and mercy. And it's just this whole chaotic scene. But the goodness of God is evident on every moment of their journey. But it's only like five minutes later and they've turned their back and they've forgotten how good God was. And they're looking for some other way. And they just cross around. The place where that time God parted the waters and they're impatient. <laughs> they're impatient. You don't know. I don't know how to articulate this, but we we have to get out of this, like be so careful of this elusive there. Right? Sometimes we spend so much of our time trying to get to this illusion of quote there and we don't even know where there is it could be performance maybe you're a leader and you're trying to be a better leader and there is the goal nothing wrong with goals but isn't it interesting that we live in a generation that is plagued by not ever getting there you understand that this illusion of there is one of the biggest thieves of joy that there is Because it keeps us from living in the moment. We are plugged into a world where we feel like we're missing something. Because everyone's highlight reel is on the scroll. And we get impatient, right? But these guys were in the middle. Definitely missing the promised land, but they're impatient. That all the things in the world to celebrate, they're no longer in bondage to Pharaoh. God's done miracles. He's providing fire by night, cloud by day. His provision is over. It's like the God of the universe is literally engaging us. And man, we're grumpy. And I'm getting tired of sitting in the back seat. Right? Now here's the funny part. It goes on. Um, just This is something I'm learning, by the way. Rejoicing helps shield my heart from impatience. Kara can tell you, patience is not like, oh, it's one of my worst. Um, But I'm getting better at it by learning to rejoice. But it goes on to say this. Verse number five. They spoke against God and against Moses. So here's the flip from David. David says, his praise will always be on my lips, but on their lips, they spoke against God. And against Moses, contextualize this. So the guys who delivered you from bondage, you're now speaking against. The guys that uh, you, you used to just be so grateful for, like God who delivered us and Moses who led the charge. Man, this is awesome now because you're impatient, because you're wandering, you're speaking against. So now it's not rejoicing on your lips, not thankfulness on your lips. It's criticism on your lips. You understand that when we rejoice, it shields us from criticizing everyone? See, when I learn to rejoice about caulking, it keeps me from criticizing it. That's not true. I still hate it. 
You can do it, though. The, release you into your gift. Whoever said they love it. It says they spoke against God and against Moses. You ever know someone who just, they just speak against everything? They're just against everything. doesn't matter what it is. You can give them what they love. They're still just against it, you know? Usually because they need to learn to rejoice about something, right? They spoke against God and against Moses. And here's what they said. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt? In that very statement is a testimony of deliverance. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt? Instead, here's how it should have been worded. Thank you for bringing us up out of Egypt. But now it's a question of why have you brought us up out of it? Now it's no longer celebration, it's criticism. It's no longer rejoicing, it's complaint. Because when we forget to rejoice, we learn to complain. And here they are in the middle of the deliverance journey of the father, Moses, leading the charge. And they're upset about it, they're critical of it. And now they're complaining about being delivered. (laughs) Instead of rejoicing. And here's the mystery... They've got so much to rejoice about. See, if you're one of those people um, who you think, man, things got to be right, so you've got something to rejoice over, you're already missing it. They were standing in the middle of plenty of content to look at and say, man, life is incredible and God is so good. But they were speaking against the very ones who liberated them. But rejoicing, learning to rejoice, and do it always shields us from speaking against everything that's going on in our life. They complained. Let me keep reading here. Where to go? They spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water. And we detest this miserable food. So they're complaining, right? They're complaining about deliverance. Which means they're now complaining. Catch this in the, in the story. Like I said, it's in this one sentence. But they're, compl- they're now complaining about the very thing they used to celebrate. The thing they used to rejoice over now is their complaint. Didn't change. We've been delivered, awesome. We've been delivered, uh. Their celebration now is a complaint. Like, why? Because they stop rejoicing about it. And once you stop rejoicing about it, you get so used and so casual to these things in our life that no longer do we celebrate it. Now it's subject to criticism and complaint. Because when we forget, if we forget the place that God has brought us from, we'll complain about the place that he's brought us to. They were no longer in bondage, but they weren't quite in the promised land either. But here's the beauty. They were with him. And when you're with him, you don't have, it doesn't matter if you're in bondage or in the promised land. I'm with him. Paul had this standard. He understood, I am in Christ and Christ is in me. There is no escape. I'm a prisoner to this context and this reality. Therefore, no matter if I'm in a prison cell or leading a church in the open public, God is with me and that dictates what's on my lips. That dictates what's in my heart. That dictates whether I'm going to rejoice always or start to complain. David the same. His heart was set on God. He knew that God was with him. 
So it didn't matter what he was facing. He had this anchor that came before because that's what a standard and a model does. It decides how it's going to be before it ever gets, quote, there. Right? But they complained. Here's what I would say. When the Red Sea parted, they should have set a standard of faith, of rejoicing. Right? When God delivered them, it should have become a standard. It should have become a model. And here's the next part of the story. They start to complain about the bread that is miraculously appearing out of thin air. I feel bad for these guys. Because we read back and we're like, oh gosh, what a bunch of idiots. That's like watching the game from the stands and talking about what you would do different. And they were on the field, so I, I get their point of view was probably different. It hurt a little more, whereas for us it's kind of funny now. But the Bible says manna was appearing, right? And they came out and they said, what is it? And that's literally what they called it. Manna means what is it? And it says that it was a bread-like substance that tastes like honey. So again, picture this with me. Donuts are showing up out of nowhere. Donuts. Okay? People are hungry. They're in the wilderness. They don't have enough food. A few million people going on a camping trip, you know, like... And they're hungry, and God decides to, in a miraculous way, release donuts every morning. Dude, at that point, I'm in. Like, the Red Sea's one standard. I'm like, okay, God's good. He's gonna, it doesn't matter how many circumstances he parted the water, he'll do it again. You know, like, uh, easy. They missed that one, okay? We're hungry. God gives us Krispy Kreme. You would think at this point, they'd be like, okay, no, we're good. God's good. Because he didn't just give us like dog food. He gave us donuts. Like, what a good God. And they're complaining. (laughs) Now, for some of them, their stomachs initially probably rejoiced when manna started to first appear because they were hungry, even though there were some rules and regulations that had to follow around this uh, miracle. But this was a liberating thing. But a liberating thing turned into a complaint when people don't learn to rejoice. Right? And they started to complain about the very thing that they used to celebrate. Guys, don't raise your hand, lest you be judged. But how many guys have ever seen God do something? Or you went, maybe, maybe, here's a practical example. Maybe you went to church, you thought, man, that's the best church, love church. And then two years later, it's your complaint. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's something in your family. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's, hey, it's the best job in the world. And then a year later, it's your complaint. Could it be that your church, your job, your relationship is just that bad or maybe just my rejoicing's that low? Because gratitude will always outperform complaint when we release it into the atmosphere, right? These were the standards that these guys were setting and it's so important that we are a church who aren't living for a, a moment but we're living from a model. This is what the Bible calls us to. Hmm. Can I say one more? You guys know the Bible says his mercies are new every morning, right? How many guys, be honest, how many guys actually feel that every morning? Some of us? Here's how you feel that, by rejoicing. 
Because rejoicing allows you to feel what is true, right? When you rejoice about it, his mercies now aren't just new every morning. They actually feel new every morning. Because every morning, they were new for the Israelites. When donuts were appearing out of nowhere, his mercies were new every morning. But they came to this crossroads where it no longer felt like it. Because instead of praise being on their lips, it was now criticism. And it's so tricky that we can go there so fast because we have one of those cock day moments where we're, we just let one little thing start to steer the ship of complaint. And before we know it, the whole thing's burning and the Titanic's going down. And when we look back over a day of stress or unhappiness, let's call it, and really analyze it, more often than we realize, nothing even happened. There, was so many, there were so many things in your life to celebrate, but sometimes we just complained, right? And then here's what we do. God, give me a moment. Give me your joy. But God's given us so much to be joyful about. And sometimes we don't need more joy. Sometimes we need to unhinge the joy that's being held hostage by setting standards. Last one, I'm going to close because you guys will start to complain. (laughs) But it's Jesus, right? We always land on Jesus because Jesus, Jesus is our model, right? Paul's so good about this in in, in the New Testament and anchoring the church to the gospel. He's always pulling them back to Jesus. Not just to, hey, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks, all that kind of stuff. But he's always holding the standard and the model of Jesus first. Because if they can understand who Jesus is and who they are in Jesus, then it's a lot easier to put this thing on. So he's always pointing right back to Jesus. And Jesus is someone who comes and Jesus has a standard. And I think I talked about this a couple months back about the standard of love that Jesus came. Nothing in the world was going to dictate what the love of God looked like because it was set before he ever showed up. Before the world was, the love of God was secure. It was anchored, right? And so the sin of man didn't alter God's love. The brokenness of people didn't shake or challenge the love of God. The love of God never changed, and Jesus shows up. And everything he does is from a standard that was set before the world was. Therefore, anything the world would do would never shake or intimidate or throw off the lips. You'd never catch Jesus just complaining, sometimes being a little challenging or even maybe into the realm of critical, but it was a holy criticism. It was a righteous one, but it was always around the religious dudes. But Jesus comes with these standards. And the standards of Jesus are liberating the world. Much like kind of mimicking David who would say, Hey, I'm going to praise and I'm going to invite other people so that they can glorify God with me. Well, Jesus takes it to a whole other level. And every standard that he's releasing and displaying is drawing humanity out of the realm of brokenness and into the realm of rejoicing. Imagine, just just imagine the climate in a city where the lame are walking, the blind are seeing, the deaf are uh, hearing, the oppressed are being set free. Can you imagine the level of rejoicing that's happening? Criticism, complaint, and all that stuff at the same time, but rejoicing is gaining momentum. 
Jesus' ministry is growing, Jesus would try to get a moment by himself and thousands of people show up. Why? Because the rejoicing that was taking place gave people hope. Right? That was false said. I went, hope! It makes it sound good. So I'm ADD. Just forgive me. <laughs> Robin gets it. He totally gets it. When Robin speaks, I get it. I just, I, I think Robin's hilarious. Jesus shows up and these standards are leading the charge. This is why, and just in light of joy, it says in Hebrews 12 too, it says fixing our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the model. The pioneer and the perfecter of faith. Oh, can I say this too? And I'm going over time, but sometimes we need to stop worrying about your measure of faith and realize it's his faith that's the measure. You understand that you have his faith. And so when yours isn't enough, don't you dare allow the elusive there to rob your joy because your there is in Christ. It's not something or must, uh, mystery puzzle we got to figure out. It's in Christ, and his faith is perfect. He's the pioneer and perfecter of faith. But here's what it says. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The most horrific, uh, just gory, graphic scene in the history of humanity, not because it was just violent and brutal, but because it was literally the love of God and the redemption of God concealed in human form. And humanity ripped apart its own Redeemer. Brutal scene. And he knew where this was going. He knew coming into the world. He knew the mission that he was on. He understood the cross. He prophesied about it. He told them uh, what was coming. Like he knew this is what he came to do. He knew how it was going to end before he ever signed up for the program. And this is why it's so important we don't miss this. Because it says Jesus, our model, our, our standard. It says for the joy set before him he endured the cross. What does that mean? That means Jesus had a standard of joy that was set. This was not a moment he needed to get through it. This was a model that he brought with him before he ever got there. He decided who and how he was going to be. And so when the cross came, his endurance wasn't based on his humanity, but it was based on the model of his standards, and one of those was joy. The love of God and the joy of God that was in that moment of redeeming humanity far outweighed the agony of his body hanging and the brutality and the pain that he would feel because he set his joy before he ever got there. It's, I know it... it can be so hard and almost even insulting feeling sometimes to just say, hey, be joyful. You've got a lot to be thankful for. It's easy to say. I get it. But this is what we're called to, right? To rejoice always. 
To rejoice always. To be thankful all the time. In all things. And then our own model Jesus comes and he's set his joy before the most unjoyful experience of his life. Man, that gives me hope. Right? If I learn to rejoice, it shields me. But it also gives me this ability to be so resilient and endure so much. I don't want to pray this over us and end here because here's the truth. God's not calling us to moments of joy. He's calling us to a life of joy. That's who He is. That's just who He is. He's not calling us to a moment. He's calling us to a model. To rejoice. And sometimes to get that joy out means I've got to start rejoicing about anything and everything. And I want to challenge you. Like This is so stupid, um, but stupid things work sometimes. Let it be on your lips. This week, whether you're caulking, eating a donut that appeared in the yard, don't do it. Um, or, or your tire blows, learn to rejoice. Always. And see if it doesn't just change your atmosphere, but whoever you're with, it changes things. Right? Father, I thank you. God, that um, what we have in you is sustainable and is secure. God, I thank you that my measure and my ability to perform joy isn't the issue. It's my ability to find yours because here's what I know. The word says, for the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? So if I can catch yours, and in that moment where it says your joy was set before the cross, it means that it came first. I think even if you look at that Greek word, it means that it was to be first. So before the cross came, joy did. And God, when I see that that's who you are, God, it gives me hope. God, I pray over just every life, including my own, God, in this room online, who could honestly say, man, I, I just I want to be happy. I need more joy. Here's what I ask, Father, because I think sometimes it's supernatural and sometimes it's practical and I think almost always it's both. Because, God, I, I, don't, want you to, I, I don't want to ask you to do the impossible if I'm too lazy to do what's possible. I want to meet you, God. But I just pray for anyone this morning, God, where their model, their model is not rejoicing, but their model, maybe it's depression, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's complaint. I want to first say God's grace is all over that because we all go there. But God wants you wants to give you a well that's full of life not full of poison and more than we realize we poison our own well so Father I ask for your grace this morning your peace, your joy to unhinge ours can we just stand for a minute I just want to pray for us I know it's late can we just have a moment here to
Can we just maybe close our eyes? I just want to make sure people feel safe this morning, but I feel pressed just to pray for us. If, if this is for you this morning, if you're someone who says, man, I just, I've been fighting and gasping for just moments of joy. When you recognize you just, you need a life full of joy. And Jesus came to give us that. doesn't mean all our circumstances look perfect. It means that I'm set in an authority that's above my circumstances. If that's you this morning, can, can you raise your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you or ask you to come up. I'm just going to pray for you. And then we'll have some people up here after just to pray for you. Father, God, in Jesus' name, touch every one of those lives. God, I just pray that even this week you'll unravel and help them see the moments that create the fabric we weave, that build the reality and the culture that we steward each week. And God, I pray that we could exchange that for joy this week. On the supernatural level, God, do a miracle. But on the wisdom level, God, teach us the practical. God, let your praise be on our lips. Let us rejoice always. Let us pray continually. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.